Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown. Welcome to another episode of Striking Gold. I am one of the hosts, Eric Crocker, and typically, obviously, you know, I record these with Rob Louder, um, and he's having fun over at Disneyland, so you guys just get to hear me talk today. All right, so I hope you guys enjoy this. Um, Obviously, 49ers are coming off a huge win against the Green Bay Packers, and, you know, a lot of people, they wanted the 49ers to have that, I don't know if you say signature win, but just a win that, I guess... Other people held to higher regards um, for most of the season. A lot of people were saying, hey, the 49ers, they haven't played anybody, right? Look at their schedule. Look at strength of schedule. That's why they're winning all these games. But one thing I've been saying this whole time, and most other people that are 49ers fans, is you play who's on your schedule. And not just that. I mean, the 49ers have dominated their opponents. So even when you know people are saying, uh, look at look at their strength of schedule. It's not you know super competitive or you know whatever the case is, whatever they want, they want to discount every win that the 49ers have had. Look at the point differential for the 49ers. The 169. That like that that's the point differential between the 49ers and their opponents. Now the next best person, the next best team in the NFC is the Dallas Cowboys at 85. So that's dang near half. As many point differential, uh, you know, as far as the point differential goes. And the crazy thing about that is, you know, I think that says a lot about what the 49ers have done as well. The Cowboys at 85, they're second. Well, they have, what, four, 
four lot well, six and five. Cowboys are like six and five right now. And they have an eighty-five, you know, point differential. So that's kinda of wild when you think about that. Um I think every other team on here, at least in the top, is a playoff team. You got the Packers playoff team, Seahawks playoff team, Saints playoff team, Vikings playoff team, and Niners. Uh, so and then Cowboys. So the Rams are on there. Obviously, they are not in this playoff discussion. But you know, just when you talk about strength of schedule, who you play, and you know, just having to win games, uh, the Forty Nineers have done that, and I, I don't think anybody. Could have seen this coming. Uh, I, I was one person that was on board with thinking that the 49ers were going to have a good year. Uh, you know, and a good year would have been 10 wins. I think if you go back probably to the early striking gold episodes, I'm pretty sure I said, hey, I think 49ers won about 10 uh, games, you know, maybe 11. But, you know, we did need everything to kind of go our way. Well, I think it's gone more than the 49ers way. 49ers have definitely um, played extremely well. Uh, really just a missed uh, field goal in overtime away from being 11 and 0, which would have been just really wild. But people still are finding ways to nitpick this team. Um, Stephen A. Smith made some comments about, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo and stuff like you know, it, it's ridiculous. Every week it's, it's something else. And uh, Richard Sherman touched on it a little bit. He said that, you know, the people are moving the, the goalpost on, on Jimmy Garoppolo. All right. And, you know, before we get into all that, let's talk about this game. So the 49ers just coming off of a huge win, 37-8 to win over Green Bay Packers, a game which most of the experts actually felt like the 49ers would lose that game. Um, I think it was the, the ESPN crew uh, or Sunday night crew for the game. A majority of them said Packers would win. And the 49ers came in and from the jump, you know, forced a fumble on the first drive. And after that, I, I mean, it was Aaron Rodgers was seeing ghosts. You know, Aaron Rodgers had his worst game of his career as far as uh, passing yards goes. 104 passing yards on 33 attempts, 20 completions, 104 yards. I, I think the crazy thing about the, the, the passing numbers for uh, the, the Green Bay Packers is th this has kind of been a trend with the 49ers. They only gave up, let's see, where is it at? Passing 81 total passing yards. So when you account uh, for the sacks and how, you know, the yards lost from sacks, 81 passing yards, they held the Rams to under uh, 100 yards. They held the Browns to under 100 yards passing. They held uh, the, I want to say the Redskins to under 100 yards passing. I mean, I've never seen anything like this before. And I actually put it out there on Twitter saying, you know, a lot of people, they, they don't really want to say it. it comes up here and there. But is this defense better than 2011, 12, 13, uh, 49ers? They are built different. You know, that, that team was built to stop the run. And, and they play with that front seven. Uh, this team is kind of built to stop the pass. But they still play with that front and, um, you know, it's a valid conversation. I think when you look at that team, you think of the great players, right? Navarro Bowman, uh, Patrick Willis. You think of uh, the, the Smith brothers, you know, uh, just everything, you know, great, 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 great players. Uh, Frank Gore, you know, you just think of all these guys. But when you look at this team, 
I think it's because they're so young and they're not super established. You do have some veterans like Richard Sherman, but is this defense better? Is the team better? I think offensively you would say, yeah, it's a lot better. All right. So, um, yeah, the 49ers, they, they definitely dominated on the defensive side this game from the jump. Forced a fumble that led to a quick score from Tevin Coleman. Uh, right after that, uh, the, the 49ers got, got after uh, Aaron Rodgers again. And, and that was something that just continued the whole game. One thing I think that a lot of people were worried about with the 49ers this game was, can they stop the run? Because, you know, Aaron Jones, he had been having a big year on the ground. They had Williams. He had been having a, a solid year. I, I want to say, what, it was like 20 touchdowns between the two of them total, like 20 total uh, touchdowns between the two guys. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, the 49ers, they're not great against the run. I, I, I want to say that they were uh, ranked 19th in the league. And the, the thing to me that, well, you know, at least what what I felt was the 49ers aren't built to stop the run, but they can. When, when it's something that they focus on, and we've seen it in short yardage situations, uh, the, the Packers got in that uh, situation during that game where they went for it on fourth and one, and the 49ers stuffed it. And more times than not, when the 49ers get in those type of situations, they stuff guys, they stop them. Several teams have gone for it on fourth and short. Niners pretty much stopped them every time. Um, when they need to stop guys on the run, uh, on the ground, they do. Uh, but typically they're, they, they're built to stop the passing game. And that's how most teams want to win. Most teams, they, they don't want to, uh, you know, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. There are, th- I'd say, about three teams in the NFL right now that want to win by running the ball. And those three teams are the Seattle Seahawks. They really want to run. Like, they want to run down your throat. The Baltimore Ravens, the 49ers see this Sunday, 10 a.m., if you're on the West Coast. And the 49ers. 49ers run 40 times and barely put the ball in the air. If you you let them, they'll run all day and not care about the pass. There are three teams. Outside of that, these other teams, they might run the ball to keep you honest. But at their core, their offensive coordinators, their play callers, they want to put the ball up in the air. And the 49ers defense is built to stop those type of teams. Now, uh, back to this game. Green Bay on the ground, uh, you know, they're running backs. The 49ers, that, again, I, a lot of people I heard, can they stop the run? Can they stop the run? I, I listened to a lot of, um, I listened to some Packers podcasts going into the game, and that was a big thing. Well, they're only 19 against the run. What are they going to do? Well, the running backs for the Packers only average three and a half yards per carry. Um, they did have a 21-yard in-the-round uh, run by Lazard, and that kind of skewed the numbers. They did end up going over 100 yards, but I, I don't think the 49ers care about that. And teams are kind of getting these garbage time um, yards running against the 49ers. We saw with Christian McCaffrey where 49ers were up big, right? I mean, at halftime, 49ers were up big. They were crushing the Panthers. Panthers came out at halftime and ran the ball, and it ran it well, but I don't think the 49ers care. And I think sometimes that, I think some of those type of games are skewing the 49ers' numbers against the run. All right, now, um, offensively, oh, well, before I before I get to the offense, there was another guy that I want to talk about. The 49ers have played, like, receivers, and they, they played against some big-time guys. 
And it seems like every time they play against a big-time receiver, they shut them down. And this time, you know, you had Devontae Adams, who had seven catches for 43 yards. Devontae Adams had seven catches for 43 yards. That's six yards per attempt. I mean, that's just the crazy. This is a crazy number. The Packers receivers or targets, whatever, including tight ends, running backs, for this game, averaged 5.2 yards per catch. 5.2. Like, that's that's ridiculous. And to put that into perspective, let's take a look at the 49ers. To put that into perspective, the 49ers receivers, so Packers averaged 5.2 yards per catch. The 49ers receivers or targets averaged 18.1 yards per catch. Now, obviously, you had a 61-yard touchdown by George Kittle. You had a 42-yard touchdown by Debo Samuel. But, you know, and even outside of that, I mean, Mostert had one catch for 22 yards. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, one catch, 15 yards. I, I mean, <laughs> they, nice catch and runs, and that's what the West Coast offense is. You know, I hear a lot of people complain about Jimmy Garoppolo and his targets and how he's not throwing the ball downfield. And, uh, he, he did this game, obviously, but even in other games, you know, the Cardinals game, he had 424 yards uh, passing. And a lot of people were like, whoa, screens and this and that. Well, like, dude, that's the West Coast offense. It's a timing-based offense. They want to hit guys in stride, nice catch and runs. That's what the West Coast offense is, short, efficient passing game and putting it in guys' hands to have nice catch and runs. And that's what the 49ers have been doing uh, over the last – Half of the season, it looks like Jimmy Garoppolo is getting a lot more comfortable. Um, looks like Kyle Shanahan has a good grip, uh, grasp on what his quarterback likes to do. And the 49ers are playing uh, to that. Jimmy Garoppolo went four, completed four, uh, 14 out of 20 passes for 253 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, which is really big. You know, we wanted to see him have a clean game. He had one. Uh, even out of those... Uh, six incompletions. Two of them were throwaways at the end of the third quarter. He spiked it. Uh, that was one incompletion. And then he had a throwaway just to kind of get the ball. I mean, get the seconds down to uh, four seconds before they kicked the field goal. So, I mean, really, outside of that, I mean, he was completed 14 out of 18 passes. Extremely efficient. Um, especially when you compare that to the numbers of Aaron Rodgers, who a lot of people didn't think that the 49ers uh, uh, would outplay. So, Great game all the way around by the 49ers. I'm pretty sure you guys have heard all about that game. Uh, it was complete domination. And even then, even then, heading into next week against uh, an away game against the Baltimore Ravens, the 49ers are six-point underdogs. They open up at six-point underdogs. Now, home teams are automatically given three points. Um, so, you know, you're automatically given three points. And even with the three points, they, they, uh, Vegas feels like the Ravens on a neutral site would be even three and a half points be- or three points better than the 49ers. So, you know, it feels go better at, on a neutral site. So, hey, you know, that's a little, I don't want to say disrespectful. It's like, man, the 49ers are 10 and 1. 49ers are 10 and 1. And they, they still, I guess, don't really get much respect. So they're going to have to earn it, and, and they'll earn it this week or really over the next two weeks. Um, you play some big, big games. and The uh, Baltimore Ravens, they're led by Lamar Jackson, who is having a, he's having an amazing season so far. 
Um, he's he's obviously running the ball very well, and I I listed them as one of the teams that want to win by running the ball. It's not just Lamar Jackson; is Ingram who's having a very good year as well. But they want to pound it, pound it, pound it. Well, I was watching all twenty-two on them, and they do a ton of motion, a ton of misdirection. Um, just watching it, sometimes you know I'm able to get a good, you know, just grasp on what teams like to do, and yeah, I, I couldn't, I really couldn't figure it out. It, it was just misdirection here, there, and it's, it's really easy to get uh, Lamar Jackson on the edge of what they do or get some, you know, just easy passes. A lot of people want to point to Lamar Jackson and, and say that he's, oh, look it, he can pass, he can pass. He He's an NFL quarterback, so he will complete passes. Uh he doesn't have high difficult type passes that like typically um, because of his threat to run and how teams have to play him. He he usually gets these throws where he kind of just has to throw to like let me just throw it away from this guy, <laughs> throw it away from the DB and kind of let my guy run underneath it. He has a lot of those kind of passes. Um, he's typically not under duress when throwing the ball. So, like, a lot of other quarterbacks, you know, even guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, you see uh, Garoppolo drop back to throw the ball. A lot of times he's, you know, he has defenders barreling down on him, um, barely missing his arm while he's throwing, and it has to be, like, anticipation throws to where, oh, I have to throw it low and away before this guy even gets to this mark. And Lamar Jackson really hasn't been asked to make those type of throws, which he, he has made some. But that's not something that they typically ask of him on a consistent basis because the way the offense is structured around his running ability, he gets a lot of layup throws behind basic coverage. Now, a team that did do well against him, and I put out just a short thread, I think it was like four or five plays, um, the New England Patriots. I really like what the Patriots did. They had a spy on him with number 31 who did very well. they were sound for the most part with how they were going to defend Lamar Jackson. The, the I think the bad thing is, well, I don't want to say bad thing, but the thing that kind of hurt the Patriots a little bit is maybe they focused a little bit too much. I, I don't know if you can focus too much on Lamar Jackson, but they focused on him a lot and kind of forgot about Mark Ingram, who had over 100 yards, averaged almost eight yards per carry, and you can't let that happen. You can't let Ingram gas you and Lamar Jackson will beat you. All right, we saw that um, Monday night with the the Rams, where it looked like the Rams just gave up. I mean, that was – what the hell is going on with the Rams? But you can't let Ingram gas you, especially up the middle. That that just – they're saying, you know what, we're just going to run down your throats. We're tougher than you. We're bigger than you. We're better than you. And the, and the Ravens do have big people on their team on offense and defense. But they're just running at you, running down your throat, running down your throat, running down your throat. And you can't let that happen. So going into this game with the 49ers, you can't let Ingram, Ingram gash you. Can't let him gash you. You have to be able to limit him to short gains when he when they run that, uh, you know, those dives up the middle. And also have somebody there to contain Lamar Jackson. And make Lamar Jackson play behind the sticks because that's something I haven't seen lately. Now I have to go back and watch the Kansas City Chiefs. 
uh, Chiefs won, and really it wasn't a close game. I know at the end of the game, uh, the Ravens made it respectable, and I think they lost. The Ravens lost by like what five points. They they made it look a little bit closer at the end of the game than what it really was, but for the most part, the the Chiefs were up double digits a lot of that game. You, I have to go back and look at it, see what they did. Also, the Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns like destroyed them. The Cleveland Browns beat the Ravens. They scored like forty four points. So I got to see how they did that too. But right now, it's a different team, and that's why I didn't go back that far. They're playing at an extremely high level. A lot of people have them as number one on their uh, as a number one team in their power rankings. It's going to be a big dog battle. Now, offensively, the 49ers are going to do what they do. Um, obviously, the 49ers have shown that, hey, if you want to load the box, we can beat you uh, in, in, through the air. And when you have George Kittle back and – I don't know if he's 100%, but when he took off for that long touchdown run, he sure looked like it. Um, whatever's going on with his ankle and his knee, when you outrun DBs like that and you're running routes and you're 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 beating Kevin King, Kevin King's a cornerback, and you whoop Kevin King in the open field and, and run off for a 50-plus yard touchdown, you know, beat him to the end zone, I, I think he's all right. <laughs> I think I think George Kittle is okay. All right, so it looks like he's going to, you know, he's probably just going to be a little bit healthier going into this game. Um, you know, as long as there are no setbacks, uh, the 49ers are getting guys back. Yeah, Brun School is playing very well for Joe Staley, and I, I have some questions coming up in the mailbag for that. Um, we'll see what happens. But 49ers offense, I don't think that's going to be the problem this game. Defensively, it's just really hard to account for running quarterbacks. Can you bottle up Lamar Jackson? Can you get him out of their game? And sometimes when you play teams like this, if you can crack the code to stopping Lamar Jackson, it kills everything that they want to do. Now, so far, Lamar Jackson's on pace for 1,300 rushing yards and over 3,000 passing yards. He has 25 touchdowns, only five interceptions, so he's playing at a high level. Most teams have not been able to crack that code. But if 49ers, if Robert Sala can get in there and, and shoot, you got Kyle Shanahan who, you know, he created a similar offense for RG3. <laughs> I, I watch uh, Auburn. Auburn runs a similar offense um, as what Greg Roman has kind of put together for Lamar Jackson. If you can figure out how to crack the code to that, the 49ers can really make this uh, not even a game. Now, if you slow it down, yeah, now we got a ball game. But you can't let them run crazy, and you can't let Ingram beat you and Lamar Jackson beat you. Uh, that's not going to go very well. All right, so... That's all I'm going to say about that and, you know, that matchup. I know I have some questions about uh, this game coming up in the in the mailbag segment, which I'm going to start now. All right. So, yeah, you know, I don't have I don't have my guy Rob with me. So I was like, man, let me do a mailbag segment and, and see if I can get some questions. I got a ton of questions here, so I'm going to try to get to all of them. Um, trying to keep this under a certain amount of time. So. We'll see. Here we go. All right, so the first one from Jason Young. Uh, would you pay Armstead? There are a few Armstead questions here. Uh, would you pay Armstead? I see a lot of fans still saying that he's only performing because the players around him are setting him up to succeed. However, he continues to pr- uh, produce and make plays. I I don't know if I'd pay him. Just I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good typically with seeing how they're going to do certain moves, how, you know, certain moves that they're going to make. I really don't know what they're going to do here. But I'll say this. 
Armstead, if he keeps playing like this, he definitely makes somebody like D4 expendable, especially if D4 is not going to be healthy. And if he's going to have these knee injuries that continue to linger, um, you got D4. And if I remember correctly, the way that they've structured D4's contract, they can get out of it. Now, you did, you did uh, give up a second-round pick, and you did pay him a ton of money this season. Now, if, if you get rid of him, you better win the Super Bowl. It'll be worth it, right? You know, if you can get him healthy enough to get him through the rest of the season, you win a Super Bowl and you decide, hey, that's not something I want to do long term, Hit uh, getting rid of him, I don't know the cap hit. All right, so I don't know the cap ramifications, but I do know, if I remember correctly, that they can get out of it after a year, if I remember correctly. If you do that, that will free up money for Armstead. So, um, yeah, if, if, you can, if you can figure out that situation... Definitely keep Armstead, man. Dude's been outstanding. He's always been good against the run. I feel like he's been a solid pass rusher. He's always done some freakish things, uh, but now he has guys around him that really help. And I don't think it's just a contract year thing. He has played well in, in spurts, but now he just has guys around him that are collapsing pockets. And, I mean, these dudes are just playing like monsters together. They, they are playing like monsters. All right, so, yeah, I, I'd have to figure out a way to keep Armstead uh, – yeah, that's how I feel about that. All right, with the way the weather looks to be heavy, rainy, likely, and cold, are you expecting a clock control run-heavy game from both teams? Who do you think has the advantage from a coaching perspective offensively between Greg Roman and Kyle Shanahan? All right, I'll answer the first question, um, or the first part of the question first. Y- yeah, but at the core, remember I said there are three teams that want to run the ball. And the 49ers and the Ravens were both one of them. Now, the 49ers, they want to run the ball very well. They want to establish that outside zone. They want to establish um, some misdirection stuff. And then, boom, they want to hit you over top with the play action. And if they can if they can get that going, they got that going against the Packers. And that's how the, the big hitter to George Kittle happened. All right, so 49ers, they want to do some of that. And I think regardless if it's raining or cold, you, you still can kind of get that. Now, they did struggle in that... <laughs> that I don't even know what you want to call it. It was like a hurricane in, in D.C. Uh, that was terrible conditions. You hope that it's not that bad. Does Baltimore play on? Yeah, so Baltimore it looks like they play on turf. So that, that that's going to help, right? So it won't be as muddy and, you know, slipping and sliding like we saw uh, with the, in the Redskins game where their field was just tore up, muddy, I mean, it was, I'm pretty sure when you step, your foot probably sunk into the grass like <laughs> a whole foot, right? So um, it won't be uh, that bad regardless of, you know, however it is. But, yeah, uh, you, you still want to try to keep the teams honest. And I think the Ravens, they're fine with running the ball a damn 100 times if they can. But 49ers, I think they want to hit. They want to get those deep hitters. We'll see how it goes. I'm pretty sure that uh, the Rams will play some part in it. But you, it just depends on how hard it's raining. The, the cold, I don't think that that's not going to really. Unless it's like 15 degrees, I, I don't think it's going to bother guys too much. It, it's the rain that that kind of disrupts games more. All right, and then who has the edge coaching? I would say it's close. 
because Greg Roman has been really good. I think he's been one of the best, better play callers in the league with Lamar Jackson, how he kind of constructed an offense around Lamar Jackson to fit his skill set and have Lamar Jackson play at a, at a high level. This is different, man. Um, who has the edge? I think, I think, I don't think it's between the two offensive coaches. I, I think, well, I think it's, I don't think it's between, Kyle Shanahan's going to be, he's going to get his. It's between Greg Roman and Robert Sala. And who has the edge there? Whew, that's the that's the question that you guys should be asking. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you expect Marvin Humphrey to follow George Kittle on Sunday? I went back and watched some of Marlon Humphrey against the Kansas City Chiefs, and he did not follow. Uh, he didn't follow Travis Kelsey. So if I had to guess, I'd say no. He's not going to follow George Kittle. Uh, but because they have Jimmy Smith back, obviously you have uh, you know your your uh, yeah you have Jimmy Smith. You traded for Marcus Peters, so you know obviously you you have some corners that kind of help free up somebody like Marlon uh, Humphrey. And yeah, I mean they can do some matchup stuff. George Kittle, that's the guy you want to stop on the 49ers offense. All right, here we go. Uh, Josh Franco. Is Spoon back to his normal lockdown self yet? And uh, that's the first question. The second question is, can Debo be a true wide receiver one? All right, so first question is Spoon back to his normal lockdown self. Uh, I, I didn't go back and specifically watch him. I, I do think that, you know, obviously he played well. Um, he looked like Witherspoon. <laughs> he looked like Witherspoon. He looked good. Um, he jumped out on... Um, uh, was that third down or fourth down? He jumped it out and, um, yeah, he looked like he's playing confident, playing at a high level. And yeah, I guess if you consider him locked down, I think he has been very good this year, really good. Uh, and then can Debo be a true wide receiver one? I don't know. I mean, I really don't think that there are a lot of true wide receiver ones. Like you have like maybe a, a handful of them. When I say a handful, I mean like. Julio, Antonio Brown, uh, Odell, not this year, but typically, you know, what we're typically used to seeing from Odell Beckham. Um, you know, Michael Thomas. Can Debo be those guys? I don't know, but you don't need him to be those guys. You know, if he can be one of those guys in the next tier, um, I, I think he could be a high volume catch guy. I think he can be really good. Uh, I think as long as you have George Kittle, he's really your wide receiver one. And if you can have Debo play off him for the rest of his career, I think the 49ers are in really good hands and set up for some pretty good success. So I don't think you need him to be a wide receiver one. Uh, I think he'll be good in you know whatever role he is playing off of George Kittle. All right, here we go. Uh, this is from uh, Sean Patrick Scott. Do you think they key Brunskill or keep? I think he meant to put keep. Keep Brunskill at left tackle and let Staley sit longer. Uh, I, I would, I think just out of respect and because Joe, Joe's a veteran, you're going to put him back in. I would like to see what, I mean, what's going to happen next year, man? If Brunskill continues, because he's playing at a high level. Brunskill has been the 49ers' highest graded offensive lineman. And he's been one of the best pass protectors in all of the NFL. So, yeah, th this and it's kind of a large sample size. Like he he's played 
games. It's not like it's like a one game or two game thing. He's played several games, and he's as far as pass protection goes, he's been playing at a high level. So I don't know what you do with him. This dude, the 49ers signed from the San Diego Fleet or whatever, the AAF a football league that folded. He fell into the 49ers' lap. Um, he's been playing extremely well uh, when given the opportunity. I, I believe he actually played, I want to say he started at right tackle when McGlinchey went down. And I think they wanted to keep school at left tackle because that's who we replaced Joe Staley when he went down. But the, he, he was having a rough go against the uh, Packers, and Brunskill came in, and he's playing well. And I brought up McGlinchey. McGlinchey struggled against the Seahawks. Uh, that was his first game back. But since then, it looks like he's starting to kind of find his feet a little bit and kind of get back and get his feet under him. He looks like he's starting to play well. Joe Staley, I think, just because he's a veteran, you have to play him when he gets back healthy. Maybe you work him in, kind of like what you see from – uh, a color with this one. I see somebody mentioned that in the comments here. Uh, what's his name? Uh, one, one V faithful one. Um, he mentioned that like, Hey, you know, work them back in. I, I don't know what they're going to do with Joe, but yeah, I, I will work them back. In. I just went and throw him back in. Let me get his feedback under him. Uh, let's see. Uh, this far. Oh, great question. Great question from uh five, 10 UBZs. <laughs> That's so buried. Uh, this far into the season, would you choose Debo or McCaff? Now, if you guys remember, okay, I, I was probably the biggest advocate of D DK McCaff. I, I would have drafted him really high. But once I started kind of getting a feel for how the how the league felt about him and just looking at 49ers and what they need and what they're looking for, and I said it. At draft time, people ask me, hey, 49ers had to pick. There's DK on the board. There's A.J. Brown on the board. There's all these guys on the board. Who are the 49ers taking? I said, they're taking Debo Samuel. And people were like, no, nah, they're not going to take Debo. Not with A.J. Brown. And they took Debo. And A.J. just had a long touchdown last game. But I like Debo Samuel. And I think he gives you more consistency than some of the other guys. Now, he might not give you that big play. Uh consistently like a DK Metcalf where, I mean, he can probably score on any play. But Debo, I mean, obviously, 42-yard slant to the crib, outran uh, Tremont Williams, who's you know, a little older, but whatever. He's on the field, outran him to the end zone, outran the safeties who had a, had a uh, an angle. Uh, Debo can run, and they don't call him the slant guard for nothing. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm happy with Debo. I was the one that was saying, like, yeah, 49ers need to draft him. I mocked him to the 49ers. Even when DK was there, I was like, yeah, Niners need to take uh, Debo Samuel. And I, I like what I've seen so far from him. I think he's going to be a high-volume high guy, and he's only going to get better. He's only going to get better, guys. Tyler uh, Tyler Componente, all right, he said, uh, I know it's all about this season, but without our second and third round picks coming up in the upcoming draft, how do you think we approach this offseason? Resignings? Let guys walk. What position do we draft in the first? All right, so this is a good offseason uh, question. <sighs> so you don't have a second or third. Now, I see a lot of people saying trade back, which obviously that would be uh, definitely an option. But where I would go with it is just take best available. And really, you know, um, 
something I was kind of playing with. If the 49ers were to trade back, say the 49ers traded back, somebody just wanted to move up like six spots, right? So 49ers, you're in the second round, and you're sitting there. And the 49ers really have a really solid roster right now. Niners have a really solid roster, young roster. Um, so I was like, okay, what do you, what do you draft? Well, there's a guy who I think might slip to the second round, and his name is Tua. I don't even want to try to pronounce his last name, but Tua, obviously the quarterback from Alabama, he hurt his hip. And I, I don't, obviously this isn't a need. And I know a lot of people like Mullins. I think that Mullins is a serviceable backup. I think he's somewhat limited. Um, I think if a guy like Tua was to fall to the second round, and yes, 49ers have Jimmy Garoppolo, and I think he's playing extremely well. I've heard some people compare Tua to um, Drew Brees. Now, I, I don't know, but I do know he is good. He is accurate. He is mobile enough. Um, I don't know about after this hip, so you would have to see, like, hey, what did the doctors say? Is it good? If it's good to go, and some, and he falls to the second round, Tua might be somebody that I would look to just, just to have him. <laughs> you know, okay, he could be a backup for a while. He can learn and... You know, hey, if Jimmy doesn't, you know, work out the way it looks like he will, it looks like he's on the right path. But say he just has a super fall off, which we hope not, obviously. Now you have a, a, a quarterback behind him with big time talent. And obviously, you know, big, big, big time talent. All right. So that's where I'm at. I I, I know a lot, a lot of people uh, wouldn't do that, but I don't know. That's just something to think about. All right, and as far as re-signing and letting guys walk, uh, I already touched on Armstead. That's somebody that I definitely would try to uh, re-sign, especially if um, somebody like uh, you can figure out how to get D Ford out of there, which I think D Ford is playing uh, at a high level when he's playing, but he's just not healthy, and he's actually a little bit older. So if you can kind of get rid of him and Armstead keep playing at the level that he's playing at, definitely, definitely, definitely uh Keep Armstead, uh, let D4 walk or trade him to a team that might be, you know, you just might not get what you traded him for, which was a second-round pick. But um, trade him may, maybe a fourth or fifth or, you know, just something that you can get for him to kind of salvage the situation. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders is somebody that I would definitely re-sign. Uh, I've heard a lot of people say that the 49ers need to draft a receiver. I don't think so. I don't think the 49ers draft a receiver at all in this upcoming draft. Uh with, with the situation that the 49ers are in right now, you have some young guys and you just don't know. It reminds me a little bit of last year where everybody wanted to draft corner cornerback and it was like, ah, you can't draft cornerback because we don't know exactly how it's going to play, play out yet with Akela Witherspoon, with Tarverius Moore at the time who was still playing cornerback. People wanted safeties and it's like, ah, we'll see. You, you know, you have Tart, uh, you know, just the whole way. And then they had already re-signed Ward and it was like, and then there was Colbert, who I'm pretty sure they wanted to see. I didn't see a scenario there where they were drafting defensive back, and everybody thought I was crazy for saying that. I compare receiver this year to that, where it's like, okay, at the end of the day, if you re-sign Emmanuel Sanders, you have George Kittle, who's really essentially your wide receiver one. You have yeah, George Kittle, you have uh, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, and then you have Debo. So at the end of the day, I have three really good 
targets that I like a lot. I have three targets that I like a lot. And off of them, there are all there are other guys who is like, hey, let's let's see. And those three guys are uh Pettis, um Heard, and Trent Taylor. And if you can get anything out of any of those guys to be serviceable, kind of like you know, a role that we see Kendrick Bourne in this year, right? Kendrick Bourne, um, a lot of people make a big deal of his drops. He has actually only has like three on the year. But um, you know, he has a few touchdowns. He makes catches here and there to move the chains. Uh, you know, just be a serviceable wide receiver for it. So, you know, if you can just get one of those guys to be that, which Trent Taylor arguably had the best camp out of any offensive player dur- dur- during training camp. I mean, he was outstanding. And I don't know what he's going to be like after this uh, foot injury. He had all kind of infections and all kind of weird stuff going on. But if you can get anything out of him or if you get anything out of Pettis and Pettis looks anything like what he looked like at the end of his rookie year, you have a legit four targets. Now, if you get something out of Pettis and Taylor, you're in a great situation. I, I don't think that receiver is a route that the 49ers go. All right. Uh, next question. How likely are we able to keep this team together for the future seasons? Well, the way that they structured it, man, they, they always uh, made a big deal out of doing everything the right way. And they were like, we're going to build this team the right way. I, I heard... John Lynch on KBR say that like a thousand times over the last few years. And that he has done. He's, he's done it the right way. And, yeah, they've spent a little bit of draft capital, but I don't think it's on anything that's going to hurt the 49ers. It's, it's actually a young team. Outside of a few older guys like Richard Sherman, uh, gosh, I can't even think of anybody else on the defensive side. And then offensively, you have like Joe Staley, but, you know, it looks like Brunskill might be his replacement. I, I, I'm not for sure about that. Still got to see Brunsko a little bit more. But it seems like, yeah, this team is kind of built for the long haul. Now, running back in the situation, I, I didn't mention them drafting, but I, I really like DeAndre Swift. Um, that's somebody that I would like look to draft, um, possibly because the 49ers are piecing together a run game with Coleman, who, yeah, he has his moments. Breda can't stay healthy. Mostert, Mm, has his moments, but 49ers don't have that guy, that that just electric guy. They, they don't have that. They just have a bunch of guys that Kyle Shanahan uses well. And I can't see him using a high draft pick on a running back, but, yeah, that's something. That's probably one place I, I think that the 49ers can kind of get a little bit better at. Uh, what's your final score predi- prediction for Sunday? I'm feeling 24-29ers. Uh, this is from Faithful Hodge. My guy Hodge. All right, this is from Hodge. Um, he, he thinks it's going to be 24-29ers and a hard-fought victory. Um, I see another 49er fan here that says uh, 31-23 Baltimore. I want the 49ers to win. I think the 49ers can win. But... If I had to guess, I'd lean more towards Nick Green Greenwald's uh, score of 31-23 Baltimore. Now, I, I hope the 49ers win, and I think the 49ers can. And they can crack the code on Lamar Jackson. I don't even think this game would be close in, in favor of the 49ers. But, like I said, most, team, most teams have not found a way to really crack the code on him. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of scary. So, you know, Baltimore's at home. 10 a.m. start for the 49ers. I think that's really tough. Um, if I had to say, I, I, yeah, I'd say uh, Baltimore wins. 
and I hope I'm wrong. I'll be rooting for the Niners, y'all. Y'all, know, I, I want to be a homer and just be, and say the 49ers will win, but yeah, I won't. I won't do that right now. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, if the Niners want to win in Baltimore, they need to crack the code on Lamar Jackson. Uh, here we go, Isaac Chavez. What do you think the formula to stop slash slow down the Baltimore offense? I think you have to. First and foremost, stop Ingram. Don't let him gas you up the middle. So if you can just kind of stop him with your base down guys, like your base, you know, four linemen, that kind of frees up, you know, a linebacker and maybe a safety to stop uh, Lamar Jackson from getting off on the edge. If you can do that, uh, 49ers can really control uh, what Baltimore wants to do offensively. It's all a... Uh, this is from uh, King Turd. <laughs> uh, is is Salah more or less likely to stay if the uh, 49ers win the Super Bowl this year? Yeah, I, I think he's likely to stay. Most teams they they really want to hire their coach uh, well before the Super Bowl. Like you know, you have that black was it they call it like Black Monday, and I want to say that's like as soon as the season ends, where coaches are getting fired. And teams want to start hiring guys right then and there. And the longer a team is in the playoffs, the harder it is for uh, guys to pick from your coaching staff. We, we saw that with the 49ers during the Harbaugh years. That team was together the entire time. Fangio, Greg Roman, um, they were there the, the, the you know all four years. Because it's kind of hard when you're going deep in the playoffs every year to interview guys and be able to pull them from the team. Now, the Shanahan situation... Uh, with the 49ers was a little different. I think that uh, I think that the 49ers was just like, look, we tried that. I think they wanted. I think McDaniel's was their A guy. I think they wanted him first and foremost. But once they figured out, okay, we can't get McDaniel's. I think 49ers was all in on Kyle Shanahan. He was the hot shot offensive coordinator. That's another thing too. Uh, Robert Sala, for as good as he is, he's a defensive coordinator. So teams are. I would say a little bit less likely to um, go all in on a defensive coordinator, as it you know, like they would for a uh, 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 offensive coach. All right, here we go. Uh, Caleb Sutherland. Caleb Sutherland. You guys remember Vinny Sutherland, white running back? I know he played with the Niners for a little bit. You no, know, he was a he did some kick returning for the 49ers. I think it was a running back. Was he a receiver? A slot? Um, I know he's a white dude. That was a bunch of years ago. Um, what are your thoughts on if San Francisco tried to trade Sherman? If cap space, uh, roll E-Man and Akello? I don't think they trade Sherman. They have an out in Sherman's contract. So, I, I, But he's just been so big. I, I don't know what they're going to do with Sherman. But I think he stays with the 49ers. He's he's been such a good teammate. It is just a business it is business at the end of the day. So we'll see what they do there. But Sherman has been so good to the 49ers. Um he's been so pivotal uh to the development of young guys right now. I I can't see them just trading him. If anything, maybe release him so that he can go to a team of his choice. But even then, I think he stays. In worst case scenario, man, he starts to to really slow down, move them. Move them to, to safety. 
and you know you could have more coverage guys on the field. But uh, yeah, I, I really like Emmanuel Mosley and Witherspoon, obviously, and I think that they can be the long-term guys. Uh, it's kind of sneaky, but uh, Witherspoon next year is his contract year, so we'll see how that whole thing plays out. Uh, Kyle Willer, uh, do you think dropping the Sam and playing more? And E-Man as a QB spy is our best bet at neutralizing Jackson. I like the idea of more. Um, fast, he can, you know, he, he, he can tackle well if he's not coming from a distance. Um, but, like, you know, around the box, he, he, he tackles well. It, obviously, he's, he's fast. You got to be not just fast, but you have to take good angles. And he struggled to take angles at safety. When you're trying to run down on on uh, Lamar Jackson, you have to take good angles. So we'll we'll see. But yeah, I think more more. I think that would be if you could do that in passing downs, that would be something good to see. Uh, you know, the only thing you know, I've had all these suggestions with the 49ers and what they should do from week to week, changing game plans. And so far, what I've seen from them is they just play their game. They do them, and they have like minor tweaks. But for the most part. They play their game. So we'll, we'll see if they do anything different that they haven't done um, against guys like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. What imp- uh, this is from Dan- Daniel Mayer. What improvements has Fred Warner made between his rookie and sophomore season? Which player have you seen develop the most over the course of the year? Bonus question. Would you, would uh, would be a non-rookie that did so? I have to read that question again. But um, as far as Fred Warner, I don't know. Um I don't specifically just watch the linebackers. I have noticed that he just definitely has just from I I, I don't know. I think his PFF grades are like bad or something. I I I, I go off of what I see, and from what I see, I think Fred Warner is a really good linebacker. He's been filling gaps. Um, he has good speed. He's rangy. He's been good in coverage. There was one play against Tampa Bay where it was like, man, this dude covered like 15 yards of of, of grass and then nailed the. Like a running back coming out the backfield who ended up dropping the ball, like it, it, it was a great, it was a great play by him. Um, he's he's got that punch down, that pe- peanut Tillman punch down, like down pack where he's forced a bunch of fumbles this year, forced one last year. Um, super playmaker, I think he's everything that we thought Ruben Foster would be, and it seems like he's just getting better and better uh, each week. And he, you see his energy. I think Quan Alexander is really good for him because the energy that he's playing with now. I didn't see last year. Uh, a little bit I did see, actually. Uh, I'll take that back. I first noticed it with him against the Giants. If you guys can go back and watch Fred Warner against the Giants, it was some it was some good stuff with him. He had some big hits over the middle with uh, Odell Beckham, and he was getting in Odell's face. That was really good. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll take that back. But, yeah, I think he also has, fair, uh, you know, got a little bit of energy from Quan Alexander, and that's kind of helped this uh, linebacker group. But, uh, uh, yeah, he, he looks better against the run, I'd say, like filling gaps. That was something that he didn't do in college. So I think that might be the biggest difference. But I, I could be wrong. I, I don't study the linebackers like that. That's just kind of something I, I, I'd say I just noticed. Um, which player have I seen develop the most? He, you said non-rookie, but I would say if, if we are talking rookies, I would say Debo Samuel. And I know you said non-rookie. So non-rookie obviously would have to be either Warner or Killer Witherspoon. Um, they're playing. They're both playing at extremely high levels in my eyes. Um, 
Kelo obviously a little bit limited because of the injury, but when he has been on the field, he's been really good. Uh, should we be starting with this Puna Mosley? Sherman seems to be hurting the team with his penalties lately. <laughs> um, I think Sherman's just setting the tone. And I think he's setting the tone as the bullies. So his penalties, okay, yeah, led to the Packers getting a little cheesy touchdown, but I liked it. Push guys around. Let them know I'm here. I'm talking. You know, I, I like that. Guys feed off that. They see that in the film. The the, the Ravens guys see that. The Ravens see uh, Witherspoon, I mean, uh, uh, Sherman pushing guys around and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, I, I like it. You might think that it's uh, hurting the team. I think it probably energizes them. I think they feed off that. I think they want to be the bad boys and the underdogs. Um, I'm running out of time here, so I'll answer a few more of these questions. But uh, let's see. This is from uh, Daniel Mayer. Quan Alexander was incredible in the passing game. Who has stepped up in his absence? Has Warner improved? Ah, I already just talked about Warner. Can you still give your thoughts on Sunday's performance against Packers? I did. Uh, what team will the rain benefit more in Baltimore? Probably Baltimore. Just because they really are ground and pound. And pound and ground and pound and pound and ground. Uh, Lamar Jackson has to face a defense like ours. How effective should we expect our pass rush to be with stopping him? Here's the tough thing when facing these scrambling mobile quarterbacks, especially someone like Lamar Jackson or even like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson to a certain extent too, even though he probably wants to pass a little bit more than other guys. But um, if you saw how the 49ers got after after Aaron Rodgers, well, you can't get after Lamar Jackson like that. You have to kind of slow play it, play your, make sure you stay in your lanes. And if you do, if you have like just this slight – uh, misstep, kind of rushing out of your lane, he can take off. And you really don't want him to get into that second and third level because uh, he's a pain in the open field. So, uh, yeah, you it changes the way you rush. Like, watch the 49ers rush him and then watch how they rush Drew Brees next week. <laughs> They're going to get after Drew Brees, but it's a lot harder when you know with Lamar Jackson. Uh, let's see. I have a whole bunch of Lamar Jackson questions. Here we go. Is, oh, is Armstead playing better than Buckner this year? Um, I, I think Buckner actually is playing very well. I think a lot of it is kind of flying under the radar a little bit because he's ta- doing a lot of the dirty work. But obviously Armstead's playing out. <laughs> I mean, he's playing very well. And he's beating the guys in front of him. I think... Armstead benefits from having Boza, from having Buckner. Um, and it's kind of giving him a little bit more one-on-one options. And with those options, he's taking full advantage of it, and, and he's just dominating his guys. And that's why you want to keep these guys together. Because if you continue to do that, I mean, like, it's going to continue to be like that. And I, I'll put this as the last question. Um, who are you starting if if it was your choice? Akello? At 100% or Mosley? And I'll end on this question. I'll say Akello Witherspoon. And the reason why is because Akello has, it's just like freaky upside, man. You don't see guys 6'3", they can move like him, that fluid, that good of feet, that good at long speed. Um, 
Mosley has played extremely well. He has exceeded my expectations, and you guys who follow me know that I've liked Emilio Mosley. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think long-term 49ers possibly have two good starting corners. And I think that's more than a lot of teams have in this league without giving up a ton of picks for or trading or, you know, paying a ton of money to these guys. Um, I think the 49ers have something with, with both guys. The only the, – the bad thing is next year I think they're both in their contract year because Witherspoon was a mid-round pick, third-round pick, which has a four-year contract. And Mosley, who was signed last year, he was – undrafted guy, which those contracts are three years. He'll be a restricted free agent, but it's three years. So next year, they'll both be on contract year. So that'll be something interesting to kind of take note and watch. But yeah, man, uh, that's going to do it here. Strike and go. Uh, shout out to my guy, Rob Louder. Um, I hope he's having a great time um, out there at Disneyland. Shout out to Kevin Jones. Uh, he comes on right after games. He does his thing. And um, hey, man, you guys... Keep tuning in. We see the numbers going up. Everybody's loving uh, the, the pod. Everybody's loving 49ers right now. Life is good. You guys enjoy it, man. 10 and 1. Who would have thought? So stay faithful, guys. I'm out.